Isa, Deacon, Deacon, Jeff Rosignol. It's a fine blend of discipleship and entertainment. Truth is here. Okay, teaching, preaching time. I'm going to, don't worry, I've recorded all of that. (laughs) Okay, so we're in the book of Acts. And we're in chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas, their first missionary journey. And um, the um, timeless truths are always good because timeless truths means they're always timely. And, of course, we can use all the same stuff today. So Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. And, again, it was written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. That's who wrote it. So now, Paul and Barnabas, or Paul, primarily it's Paul as the main dude, went on three missionary journeys. Now, a missionary journey means, and we've got a plaque hanging even on our door, you are now entering the missionary field. You come here to church, you get some, some Bible in you, you get some fellowship in you, and you go back out there and you live for Jesus and do what he said. Even this morning, I put a post on Facebook saying, Communion Sunday is a great Sunday, a good reason to come to church. Plus, we have that pesky command out of uh, Hebrews that says we're not to forsake the assembly of believers. And I had a Christian in Maine tell me, yeah, but the church is blah, 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 blah. And I quickly responded, even here this morning, that is a poor excuse for disobedience. Right? It doesn't matter what the local church looks like if they're not up to your approval or standard. You go be involved, right? So, and you're supposed to go serve Jesus in that local body of believers because whenever we pick on the local body of believers, we're picking on ourselves because we are the local body of believers. We are the body of Christ. So you can't say I'm not going to church because of those people because you and I are those people. So, and I'm saying this for our recorded family. Now, just so you know, the podcast gets about 300 downloads a day. So, Paw Paw Bible Church is a bigger ministry than just Paw Paw. So, and it's coming into people's devices. They're downloading it at home. So, they are getting this. Paw, you know, these, this, Paw Paw Bible Church has a bigger ministry, which is very exciting. So... Um, but the missionary journey means Paul's going out and he's telling people about Jesus. He's telling them the gospel. And there's only two reactions to the gospel. People either they avoid it and flee from it or they move towards it and they want more of it. All right, Those are the only two real reactions. There's no such thing as indifference to Jesus Christ and the gospel. And if you take those people who per- pretend to be indifferent and you corner them, you will find a very violent and angry heart towards God. I saw a post just yesterday from an atheist who says, if I stand before the pearly gates and, um, and God's there, he says, I would say to this God, this maniacal mean God, why is there cancer in children? And if you're like that, God, I want nothing to do with you. This is an atheist saying, obviously there's no such thing as atheists, just people who are mad at God. But can you imagine the audacity, the self-righteousness, the pride of somebody saying to the holy, just, righteous God that, who are you, God, that even I could create a better world than you? 
Do you understand how demonically hellfire-ridden evil that is for us as humans to, to come against God and claim that God's not fair in any stretch? That is the epitome of evil. That is why the world is cursed. That is why God sent a flood and annihilated every human being and He was just to do it. And the fact that we're not dead is the grace of God. And that's where we start. God owes us justice, but He gives us grace and mercy. And you can't have grace and mercy unless there's a foundation of justice. Right? There's no such thing as grace and mercy without justice first. That's the bedrock. So Paul's going out and he's giving the gospel to people. And he's doing it at no matter the cost. So now he goes on this missionary journey. It's hard to see. He starts out in Antioch and he sets sail. The first missionary journey comes to Cyprus and then comes up here to Pergia and and another Antioch and Iconium and Lystria and Derbia and comes back. And you notice how he's coming back? He's coming back and checking on the churches that he helped start. Now, some of these places, as we're going to see, he didn't just start a church and hey, and they all went on. He went and he started a church, and what did they do? They tried to kill him. So now, how's that? For Now let's go check back on the new church that we've started. You know, that's dangerous. And so speaking of dangerous, I'm going to pray so, um, and, you know, get me out of the way so God gets the glory. Good morning, Father. Uh, get me out of the way that your truth would be lifted up and you would be glorified because that's all that matters. Thank you, Jesus. So, that's the big idea. So, I, I edited a, a, the slide from la- last week and I even put it on Facebook. But, and I called this the evil test. How evil are we? And, you know, the ABC, you know, the, the, this is another way to share the gospel. So I'm going to educate you on this. You know, the ABC, admit you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus paid for your sin on the cross. C, confess that Jesus is the Son of God and commit your life to Him. This is some serious call to action. This is very intrusive information. This is saying your subjective opinion doesn't matter. It's a pile of poo. You need Jesus. But the problem is, and I added this to it, is if you don't think you're that bad, because you have to confess, admit, you're a sinner. And the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes you and me, right? So we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. It's not a, I forgive you, it's okay. It's not God responding that way. It's God saying, you're dead meat, because I owe you justice and you're going to get justice. Right? That's a, admit you're a sinner. And this is where people can't and won't do it. This is the part of the gospel that we hate sharing the most. Because... This is the part that gets right to the heart of the matter. This is the Adam and Eve in the garden. This is, we're going to look at that a little more in a moment. All right? We have to start there. If, but if we don't think we're that bad, then we don't believe the cross of Christ is that necessary. Because, hey, Muslims have a way. Buddha has a way. You know, uh, 
Hare Krishna is away, everything's away, so the people who want Jesus can have Jesus in the cross, and we'll take that away. Because really, we're not that bad, and a sacrifice for you and me is not necessary. If we don't hate our sin nature, we don't need a Savior. Because we're okay, we're our own God, we're going to get to heaven on our own merits. Do you understand? These two are directly connected. You can't have the gospel good news without the bad news. Alright? And no human being wants to tell another human being, yeah, you really do stink. But that's okay, I do too. We both stink, and God will punish us for stinking. Alright, imagine a preacher saying that on TV. How many people would quickly flip back to Joel Olstein, right? <laughs> Just to tell him, you're okay, you're okay. You, who, gospel, cross, what? No, you're okay. Alright, I've ranted enough on that. So, now this is how to test how evil we are. Can you sincerely repent right now? And I put this on Facebook. Can a person read this and go, Yeah, I stink. I hate my sinful nature. I'm hating the choices I make. I hate how it's affecting the people I care about. I hate me. And if a human being can't hate their very nature, they don't need a Savior. Right? You don't need to feel good about yourself. You need to feel good about God in you. You need to feel good about what God did for you, despite you. We need to God-esteem, not self-esteem. Because that's where our value and our purpose and our existence comes into play. So now we can face a crisis, whether it be our own sinful nature revealing itself again, or something in the world... It doesn't matter because God saved me despite me. He loves me despite me. He's building me despite me. God gets 100% of the glory. That's good stuff. That's motivating stuff. That's the gospel. But can a person, a friend, family, or neighbor, if they read this, can they sincerely repent? Can they really do it? Or are they going to go, Nah, I just, here's an excuse. Have another excuse. Have another excuse. Just no, I will not repent and can really admit I need help. Right? We really think at the, bot- at the end of the day, most humans think, I got enough goodness in my pocket that God's going to take me as I am because of my own inherent goodness. And that is not the gospel. And this is the only thing that you and I in this room, if we're going to grow a church, this is the only information that's going to grow a church. And it's not going to happen in this building. It's going to happen when you and I go to the coffee shop and we're talking to our friends and family and we say, hey, let's, let's have a little discussion for a minute. This is going to be awkward. It's going to be strange because we're not used to giving good news. We're really not used to talking about the most important thing in the universe. We're not. It's very uncomfortable. But this is what's most important. So, let's get into this. So now, here's Paul and Barnabas and their team. And they're going to Iconium, um, that place. 
Here we go, Acts 14, 1-3. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. All right, they preached the gospel and people responded. That makes sense. Me want Jesus. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So, here's their response. They remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And again, I like to emphasize this, granting, not only are they preaching the gospel, but they're performing magic tricks. And I don't mean that in a belittling way, but people are being healed, people are being cured, people are being, you know, uh, they have evil spirits and they're being, the evil spirits are being cast out. Visible stuff is happening before their eyes from those people who keep preaching about Jesus, giving them authority. Right? And even then, unbelievers fight it. Do you understand how irrational that is? How non-smart that is? 4 through 7. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews and their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, that would be public execution, they learned of it and fled to Lystria and Derbe, cities in Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So the very thing that threatened their lives by Jews and Gentiles getting together with the politicians to say, hey, I think it's time we publicly execute these people for talking about Jesus and healing people. That's what they were doing. They're talking about Jesus healing people, which of course deserves death. Right? Because we know how bad morality and goodness and holiness and virtue is and healing people is. Right? So then they flee to other cities. And then they continue to do the very thing that had their lives threatened in the previous city. So in Lystria, now in verses 8 through 10, now at Lystria there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Here's one of those miracle signs. He's preaching, sees a dude, dude, Jesus' name, you're healed. Bam! Guy stands up. Now, of course, this is going to make every people want Jesus, right? (laughs) Not exactly. Bit of a confusion because people like their own gods. Um, Acts 14, 11 through 13. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying, in Lysania, Laconianian, <laughs> the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, for he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. Oops! We're preaching Jesus Christ! You be healed! Bam! (gasps) Zeus and Hermes have come down! Let's go worship them! Uh Uh-oh! Uh-oh! Now, who is Hermes? Why Hermes? Because is that Pee Wee Herman? What? Who is that? Right? (laughs) 
Now, he is one of the, the Greek mythology, mythology gods, the son of Zeus and a human. Um, he is the second youngest of the Olympian gods. He's the god of transition or boundaries. Um, remember the flowers with the, uh, the guy with the wings on his feet? Right? Yeah. The, that's Hermes, all right? He's quick and cunning, moves freely between the worlds of the mortal and divine. He's a messenger, right? That's his role. So they think Paul's the messenger. Hermes saying, hey, Zeus has arrived. <laughs> Look at the lightning bolts coming out of his hands, right? And Barnabas, who's really considered the son of encouragement um, and doesn't do most of the speaking, they thought he was Zeus. So here's how the apostles react to this. In 14 through 17. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men, and like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. A couple things to point out. The apostles come out and say, hey, we're just people. But here's the gospel again. Right? God's been very gracious to you. By the way, He made everything. And even in His grace, that's called general grace, that everyone's got one lifespan to figure out what they're going to do with Jesus, He did not leave Himself without witness. Romans chapter 1. Everybody knows God did it. Everybody knows God is there. Everybody knows God created everything because creation screams at everybody, including the PhD scientist who can't count because they hate God. God is there. In Romans chapter 1, it also says people suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It is because of the evil in their hearts. They look at creation and go, I don't see God. They're lying. Because they hate God. Alright? But God did not leave Himself without witness. For He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good food and gladness. God provided for you. And now, how's, now talk about a flipping... Right? They're going, no, we want to just offer sacrifices to you, Paul and Barnabas, because we think you're gods. No, Jesus is God. Okay, here's our response then. 14, 18, and 19. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. Can you imagine saying, no, we're not gods. Jesus Christ is God. Some people say, we're still going to sacrifice to you. No, these guys are fakes. Kill them. Okay, let's just kill them. And they start throwing stones. Paul's pummeled down, knocked out, laid bleeding. They thought they killed him. They grabbed his body. They're shouting and they drag him out of the town. And they leave his body outside of town saying, there, there you go, Hermes. You fake, you want to be. Ha, ha, ha. Right? What, what's going on? Can human beings be that way? That's us. We're those human beings. 
And one thing, a reaction that I have constantly when I'm reading through scriptures, especially the Old Testament, is, and I look at the people and how they just keep fighting God. And I, and it's like, I don't want to be a human being, you know, and, and be one of them. But God rescues us from that. It's a good response to say, God, I don't want to be the humans who hate you. I want to be the humans who love you. We should have that in our hearts to be able to measure ourselves. Do we truly love the God of the Bible? Do we care what the God of the Bible has to say to us? Do we want to love God and not be like the people in the Bible? Understand? There should be in you wrestling that. So, we keep going. I'm going to jump to first uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 1 through 14. Why is there such a polarized reaction? Why is it uh, hate and just aggressiveness towards God or wanting God? Why is it the two? And uh, the Gospel of John gives us that as well as uh, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at both. And I want you to see this. I'll just read it first. First, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's referring to Jesus Christ as the Word. And I'm going to jump down to verse 9. The true light, the true light, not one of the true lights of many, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. If you remember when Jesus was on the cross, he said, forgive them, they know not what they do. Even though the world was made through Jesus, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God. Jesus says in John 3 um, that we must be born again. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Alright, so what happens? Why is this such a polarized reaction? Because every time a holy God comes down, this happens. If there's just a few of us, we run and hide when God makes His presence known. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That's what... This is what happens when you corner someone and you give them the gospel. Hey, oh, hey, no, get away from me, God! Now, what happens when you get enough humans together? Right? It really shows itself in Revelation. But here's what happens when God comes to visit His creation and there are many of us. We don't hide anymore. No, now we think we can take them. Now, oh, hey guys, we all, we all hate God, let's go take him down. Even though he's sustaining the universe and us, 
<laughs> we're going to take them down. And that's what people do. So here it is. And we go to Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And I'm going to read this to you. Talking about Jesus. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. I'm going to read this to you, so hang in there. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See what's going on? See the pattern? He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that was before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Now look at this in Isaiah 53.10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was God's will before the creation of the universe to see his son crushed so that you or I would not go to hell. He, put, he was put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. His soul makes an offering for our guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The, Lord, um, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. One minute he's saying he's going to kill him, and now he's saying he's going to prosper him. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Hang in there, folks. This is what happens to humans when they trust in Jesus. God makes us, he accounts us righteous. He justifies us despite us. He says, you are justified because of Christ. And he shall bear their iniquities. He, Jesus, will take your sins. He will be punished for your sins. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That was a thousand years before Jesus came around, this scripture. Do you understand what Paul was saying? He was going to the Jews with their own Bible and saying, This has come to pass. Jesus, we were there. We saw it. Peter was there. Look, hey, Peter's wave. Right? That's how we respond. So now we go back to Acts. Acts 14.20 
But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Now, the, Luke is giving us what happened, but we can add some information to this. If you remember, we left him supposedly dead outside of town when people threw rocks at him to enough to think he was dead. They thought he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. Now that doesn't mean they all gather around and he's like, Are they gone? <laughs> that is not what happens when you've been stoned and left for dead. What really happened is, oh my goodness, is he still alive? People are around him. Women are crying. Men are crying. Everyone's looking at his beat up, pulverized body. Does he breathing? Is he breathing? I think I hear some breath. Paul, are you okay? Give him some water. You know, and they're pouring water and they're draining up and he's, he's not just going, hey! he's barely getting up. He's bruised. He's bleeding. He's a, he's a pulverized mess. Luke, who's the doctor who wrote this book, is doctoring him up. Right? And he didn't just get up and go into the city. They probably carried him. Or he limped along like a football player, right? Just, uh, uh. He was a mess. And he rose up and entered the city. And the next day he went with Barnabas and they left town. Well, they thought I was dead. They probably think they're burying me. I'm not feeling so good. Anyone got any Tylenol? Right? Let's get out of town. I, I'm ready for another town. I, you know, I just, this rock and still stuck in my head, right? There's a problem. Acts 14.21. Uh, let's go check on our church plant. So after he heals up, they decide, let's go back and see how those early churches are doing. We preach the gospel, people believed. And the rest of the town threatened to kill me. One just tried. Let's go check on the other churches. Okay. <laughs> So when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, that's in Derby, they returned to Lystria, to Iconia, and to Antioch. So they went back. And here's what they did there. Now, you know, we think the challenges that we might have as American Christians and and people are just showing amazing disinterest for the things of God. No one's tried to kill us yet, thankfully. No one has really gone out of the way to start attacking and persecuting the Christians in the normal public sectors. Right now, it's just hushy-hushy. Right? right? It's not there yet. But here's what they did. They'd go back to these places where it's a live or die. You you believe this stuff and your life is threatened. Alright? And in, in verses 22... One, they, this is what they do, is they strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And then uh, in verse 23, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they have believed. So imagine they get a Jew who's well-versed in the Old Testament, who's come to Christ, and they say, Okay, we're going to leave you in charge. There's no New Testament you can go to. There's no Bible app you can download. You can't turn on the radio and listen to a preacher. You need to study your Old Testament and preach Jesus. There's no New Testament at this time. Right? That's the elder's job. And by the way, those folks over there, keep an eye out. They might try to kill you. Okay? So good luck, early church. And here's how they encourage them. They strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. 
that information. Now, faith isn't subjective. Faith is not going, well, you believe that? That's wonderful for you. Faith means this is what the Scripture says. We believe it because it is true. It is true whether we believe it or not. We better conform to the truth because it's not changing on our behalf. All right? And then he warns them, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. All right? We're almost done. Um, And so now they travel back to where they began. They're heading on their way back to the original Antioch. Then they pass through Pisidia and came to that pamper place. And... (laughs) When they, when they had spoken the word in Pergia, they went down to Attila, 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 and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples." Alright, so there it is. That's how uh, Acts chapter 14, I believe that's how it ends. And let me just double check that statement. Mm-hmm. Verses 28, that's how Acts chapter 14 ends. They went back to the original place where they were sent and they declared all that God had done with them. Okay, They didn't declare all that they did. They declared all that God did and how God opened the door. See how God, He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Who's getting 100% of the glory? God. Did Paul go in there and say, I serve God and people do wrong in my face. Did he, did he respond? Did he whine? Did he say, and the church is mean to me, so I'm not going to serve Jesus no more. Did he do that? He praised God and declared all that God had done and the Gentiles and the Jews who had come to Jesus when he gave the gospel. And yeah, see my new scar? Isn't it cool? Right? So this is what the gospel looks like and this is what our command is. I don't think God will bless the church until until we start doing the one thing of all the things... That we've always been commanded to do. Share the gospel. That one piece. ABC. Admit we're sinners. Believe that Jesus died on the cross and confess Him as Lord and Savior. That's what grows a church. So, let's prepare our hearts for communion and uh, count the cost for loving and serving Jesus. There's some food for thought. Please visit thespeakindeacon.com and get connected to the growing number of social media Christians. Thespeakindeacon.com. Truth is here.